Good morning, saints. How's everybody feeling today? Let's uh, let's stand up if you wouldn't mind joining me in prayer. Let's just take a minute or two and open our hearts, open our minds. Let's just um, soak in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you and bless you and praise you and give you honor and glory. Thank you for this opportunity to come together as the family of God. Thank you for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And Father, I place myself under um, your command and your authority and under your anointing this morning. I thank you for bringing forth a word of truth and liberation. May our hearts be impacted and encouraged and strengthened today as we come together around you, around one another, and around your word. In Jesus' name, and if you can agree with that this morning, just say amen, and you can be seated. And if you have your Bibles, um, come with me to the book of Malachi, 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 Malachi. Last book of the Old Testament. I want to show you something. I've heard lots of messages preached about grace and the difference between law and grace and I've preached a few myself, and I've seen something just going through this stuff on Melchizedek that I had never seen before, and that is how central the priesthood and the temple is to the law. And you'll see it here in Malachi. Malachi. Sorry. If your name is Malachi, I apologize for butchering that. Very sorry. Please don't be offended. I'm an equal opportunity offender, I have to say. <laughs> Malachi chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 7. It says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law or the Torah or the teaching from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you've departed from the way, you have caused many to stumble at the teaching, and you've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I have also made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you've not kept my ways and you've shown partiality in my law or in my Torah or in my teaching. Now with that in mind, come with me to Hebrews 10. So that's the the situation that Jesus uh, comes into (laughs) historically. A corrupt priesthood that had changed and corrupted the law, the Torah. So Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, and then we'll look at the one other place in the Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. 7 11, like the store. <laughs> Thank you, bro. Somebody likes my quirky humor today. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. I want you to see that. It was under the Levitical priesthood that the people received the law. So you cannot be under the law unless you are under the Levitical priesthood. Okay. What further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of law. See it? It was under the Levitical priesthood that the people received the law of Moses. So if the Levitical priesthood 
changes, then the law goes away with it. You cannot have a law without a Levitical priesthood. Because you cannot have a law without a temple. So Israel's without a temple. Do you see it? All right. For the Again, I'll read that again. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man is officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses, everybody say Moses, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So now you're dealing with a priesthood that has nothing to do with a carnal ordinance or law, but rather a priesthood that introduces something else, which is the power of an incorruptible life. See it? Now let's just look at two places in the Old Testament, and then we'll get going here. Genesis 14, we'll go back there. There's two places where Melchizedek's talked about before the writer of Hebrews picks it up. Only two places. The first one is in Genesis 14. Verse 18, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, so the communion elements. He was the priest of God Most High. Now listen to this. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Listen to this next part. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Then if you come with me to Psalm 110. Verse 1. This is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. And it does not come out of Moses' writings. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And I swear you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So by the time you come into Hebrews... And the one thing we won't look at, because I just don't want to keep flipping pages, but the writer of Hebrews is picking up on this thing in Psalm 110. And what he's he's talking about, how Christ who comes as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, that under the old covenant, when they would do their sacrifices and their offerings, they would remain standing. But when Christ came and offered one sacrifice himself, for sin and offered himself to God through the eternal spirit. He sat down at the right hand of God waiting till his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. So we have tremendous transition going on from the old covenant to the new covenant or tremendous transition going on because the Levitical priesthood has been done away with. 
The Levitical priesthood has been made contemptible. If you believe the scriptures, if you believe the prophet Malachi, God said, I will make Levi contemptible in the eyes of the people. Right? So that priesthood has been done away with, and the law and the old co- uh, of the old covenant has been done away with it. And here comes this high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and the blessing of Melchizedek to Abram, who is the representative of all of humanity, is the Lord has delivered your enemies into your hand. It's reiterated, the only other place Melchizedek is talked about, it's reiterated in Psalm 110. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I will send forth the rod of my power from Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So, how many remember this story? First time Jesus, in, in Luke's Gospel, the first time Jesus speaks after he's been anointed by the spirit now understand anointing doesn't mean much to us today unless we use it in charismatic terms but in ancient culture there were only three people who were anointed the prophet the priest and the king that's it and those offices were always kept separate but jesus or the order of melchizedek brings the priestly and the kingly together but we saw in malachi the priest should also be what the messenger of the Lord. Or you could translate it the prophet of the Lord. So when Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, you have to keep that in mind. So he goes into the the, the Jordan, he's baptized, he comes up, the dove comes down, right, rests on him, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Then he goes out in the wilderness, he's tempted by the devil for 40 days, he overcomes the temptation, he comes back in Luke's gospel, and the first thing he does is he goes into Nazareth where he was brought up, and he goes into the synagogue, and he opens up a passage in Isaiah 61, and he reads this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them who are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's how we translate it. But in the original language, it is the year of Jubilee. Then it says that he said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He gave the book to the attendant and he sat down. Now, there's a connection there because... The year of Jubilee was inaugurated by the priesthood. So here's how it worked. Every seven years, Israel was supposed to give the land an opportunity to rest. Which means they were, they weren't, now it's it's kind of a two-sided coin here because think about it. You're taking a year off of work every seven years. Now that sounds great if the government's funding it. Maybe not so great if you're funding it. And interestingly enough, when God sent Israel into Babylon, the reason he gave was they didn't give the land time to rest. So it was really their greed that caused the problem. So you would do seven sevens or seven Sabbaths. Because seven is an important number here. Seven sevens is what? 
49. So there's debate whether it was the 49th year or the 50th year. But basically, once you got past seven sevens or 49, you would have the year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee would happen this way. In the year of Jubilee, everything would get reset. It's like hitting the reset button on a video game or something. Here's what it meant. If you got yourself into poverty, if you squandered your inheritance, and you had to sell yourself to another Israelite as an indentured servant, become their servant so that you could survive. If you were deeply in debt to someone, and if you'd lost your property, then on the year of Jubilee, that whole slet was set clean, was wiped clean. You were released from your servanthood and restored to your proper place. You were given your land back and your debts were canceled. Now that's great if you're the person in debt, not so good if you're the creditor or the employer or the one who earned the right to work the land that now he has to give up. So this was not something that Israel wanted to keep. As great as it sounds. The powerful didn't want to maintain it. Uh, it should drive all you conservatives nuts because they're taking everything away from these hard-working people and giving it to people that didn't work. It's right there in your Bible. But the way it was inaugurated was this way. It was on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was during the last feast of the year after the harvest had come in, during the harvest time. This is important and what we'll look at in a minute. During the harvest time, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would go in, the high priest would go in behind the veil, he would spread the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, he would make atonement for the sins of the people, he would come out, and if it was the year of Jubilee, he would blow the trumpet, and when the trumpet was blown, that was the point at which the release took place, and everything shifted and changed. Are you tracking with me? So, we know now, from the Dead Sea Scrolls, that the... The Israelites, part of their messianic hopes was that Melchizedek would come on the 10th Jubilee and announce a spiritual year of Jubilee that would deal with things at a spiritual level, not a natural level. So in other words, the year of Jubilee would be a time when spiritually you would have your identity restored to you, your captivity would be broken, your debts would be canceled, and you would return to your inheritance. And it all goes back to what Adam lost. So Jesus is basically announcing himself in his first message that he is Melchizedek, that he is anointed with the anointing of Melchizedek to bring in the 10th Jubilee in order to undo what was done in Adam. Which is why after he reads it, he sits down. Because the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make my, your enemies a footstool for your feet. So when you start viewing scripture through this Melchizedek lens, here's what you see. Jesus is baptized in the spirit. He's anointed. The anointing of Melchizedek comes on him, right? Then he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So here's the battle in the wilderness. He defeats the enemy in the wilderness because the blessing of Melchizedek is that your enemy will be delivered into your hand. 
See, your Bible says that Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. It wasn't like God was leading him into temptation. No, the Spirit was leading him because it was the very blessing that many millennia ago that the anointed one, Melchizedek, had spoken into Abram and to his seed who ultimately would be Jesus. So when Melchizedek is speaking to Abram, he's speaking to Jesus, who then also is the representation of all humanity, and he's transferring by his anointing of Melchizedek the power of an indestructible life in order that victory may be won and the enemy may be delivered into the hand of the seed of Abram. So Jesus receives that anointing, and then... Now it's time to kick butt. No, he hasn't sat down yet. He went into the wilderness. So he goes into the wilderness to fight a spiritual battle. And when he wins the spiritual battle, see the Bible says this in Luke, it says that that he went full of the Spirit into the wilderness. But after he had overcome the temptation and defeated the enemy, it says he came out in the power of the Spirit. And then he comes out in the power of the Spirit and announces the Jubilee. So in essence, when he goes into the wilderness, it's like the high priest going into the Holy of Holies. Because the other thing that happened on the Day of Atonement was the scapegoat. Ah, oh, see, we don't... We, Lord help us. It's no wonder the church is so confused. On the Day of Atonement, there were two goats. Everybody say two goats. One goat was killed. The other goat was left alive. The one goat that was killed was taken into the Holy of Holies and the blood was shed, right? In order to cleanse the tabernacle. Not to appease God, to cleanse the tabernacle. It's different. Then, but here's what it says. It says you shall cast lots. Before they decided which one was which, he says you shall cast lots. One lot will fall to... The Lord, one goat will be to the Lord, and the other goat will be, your Bible says, the scapegoat. But in the Hebrew, that's not what it says. The other goat shall be to Azazel. Everybody just say Azazel. All right, so you've got one to the Lord, one goat for the Lord, and one goat for Azazel. Say it with me again. One goat for the Lord, one goat for Azazel. Azazel is the name that the Israelites gave for the person you call Satan. So you had two sacrifices. This sacrifice goes to the Lord. This sacrifice to the devil. Part of the reason they changed it, because they didn't know what to do with that. They are scratching their head, huh? But watch this in light of Messianic prophecy. So he kills the one goat, takes the blood into the Holy of Holies. The other goat becomes what we call a scapegoat or becomes for Azazel. And what happens is, is they lay hands on the head of the goat. They lay hands on the head of the goat and they confess all of the sins of the nation of Israel on the goat. Then they turn the goat loose. They give the goat to Azazel. But where do they send it? into the desert or into the wilderness, exactly the same place that Jesus went to be tempted.
So that clearly on the Day of Atonement, here's what's being done. Clearly on the Day of Atonement, here's what's being shown. We, we, we tend to think of blood only in terms of death, but the Bible doesn't look at it that way because the, the Bible says this, the life of the soul is in the blood. So blood represents life, and it represents particularly the soulish life. So so you bring the blood, you bring the life to the Lord, you take the sin and the death, and you send it to Azazel in the wilderness. So Jesus, right, goes into the wilderness, what? To be tempted by the devil. Why? Because that's where he's located and that's where all the sins have been driven all these years. So really, you could say to yourself that in the temptation of Christ, Jesus took on sin. (laughs) You see it? So that when he overcomes temptation, he's literally doing it on your behalf. He's wearing, if you will, your sins and then going right to the root of the cause, which is Azazel, and overcoming. So literally, he's defeating all of sin and all of Satan and all of death in the wilderness by the power of a Melchizedek anointing and blessing that says, the enemy will be delivered into your hand. So now, he's, he's acting on an atonement. He's coming back into the camp... Without sin. And says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to, to bring liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the year of jubilee to you. And then He sat down because it was done. Woo! So in other words, what he's saying is, you don't have to overcome it, I've overcome it for you. You don't have to fight the battle, I fought the battle for you. You don't have to get the victory, I got the victory for you. And, and, and you're not gonna live now by, by, by ordinances and laws and all that kind of stuff. Now what you're gonna live by is the power of an endless life. So, alright, let's do it this way. If you go back into Hebrews 10, you'll read this. It says that Christ offered His blood through the eternal Spirit to God. So, in in, in this sense, see if I can say it this way, the blood, the Ark of the Covenant, represents the presence of God or the eternal Spirit. Right? The high priest would go in and put his blood or his, or the, the blood of the goat, the life of the goat on what? On the ark. The presence, the spirit. So Jesus offered his blood through the eternal spirit. So the work that he did is in the spirit. Alright, so again, He's, an, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit, so he takes the fullness of the Spirit. He goes into the wilderness where all the sins of Azazel and the devil and all that stuff is. He goes into the wilderness. He overcomes. He's victorious. He comes out in the power of the Spirit. 
When he dies, he offers his blood and himself as a sacrifice through the Spirit. So everything he's doing is being recorded and registered, if you will, in the Spirit on your behalf. Then after he ascends, what does he do? He sits down at the right hand of the Father, right? But what does he do? He pours out the Spirit, which carries the record of everything that he did. Which is why Luke, this is all in Luke's gospel, Luke said he came, after he won the victory, he came in the power of the Spirit. Right? Then Luke says, excuse me, chills, you shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. Why? Because it's already been done for you. Everything he did is recorded in the Spirit and then given to you as a free gift, which becomes the power of an endless life, which becomes an anointing that leads you into victory, that becomes, uh, that, that establishes, if you will, Zion inside of you, establishes the Holy of Holies inside of you, establishes Christ as King Priest inside of you, establishes the record of the blood of Jesus Christ inside of you, so that you become the temple then, you become the, the, Oh, Jesus. (laughs) You become the cup bearer. You got two people. In Daniel, you have two people in prison. Remember the story of Daniel? I'm Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? Wrong dreamer. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph goes into prison... And he meets two guys. One's the bread maker, and the other is called the cup bearer. And they both have dreams. Right? One's the baker, makes the bread, the other's the cup bearer, bears the cup to the king. Comes to Daniel, they're all in prison. They come to Daniel. <laughs> And they tell Daniel the dream, and he interprets it, and here's how he interprets it. In three days, he tells the bread maker, your head will be cut off. And he tells the cupbearer, in three days, you'll be released from prison and restored to your position as the cupbearer. What bearing does that have on anything? Because remember, when God sent Adam out of the garden, out of paradise, he told him this. He said, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. By your works, you will feed yourself. Right? When Melchizedek shows up, what does he bring? He brings the provision that Abram didn't have to work for. He brings the baker and the cupbearer <laughs> to the person in prison. Uh, and says, here's what has to happen. <laughs> that Adam has to have his head cut off. That which tri- strives by works in order to inherit through the sweat of the brow or eat the bread of the covenant. See, that... <laughs> You see it? 
It's not just bread, physical labor. It's saying, look, you're going to work under an old covenant of works, bread. Got it? But when Melchizedek comes, see, Daniel's foretelling the coming of Melchizedek. What he's saying is, is when Melchizedek comes, the baker's going to die. He's going to have his head, that old Adam mentality, that old works mentality, that old covenant mentality is going to be cut off. But the, but the cupbearer, I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone abides in me, he brings forth much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. So now the cupbearer gets exalted to the right, <laughs> gets exalted to the right hand of God, right? So that what happens for us then, this is, see, the, 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 hey, hey, hey. so you don't work for it. That's the baker. That part of you that thinks you have to work for it has, needs to have its head cut off. That part of you that thinks you don't deserve it needs to have its head cut off. That part of you that thinks you're too sinful or too messed up or too whatever, that you can't get anything or deserve anything or receive anything. That part of you that wants to labor, that part of you that wants to work, that part of you that wants to go back under the law, that part of you that wants to demonstrate your own goodness. See, that that's the baker in you trying to bake your own bread instead of receiving the bread of the broken body, which is given for you, right? I mean, the, 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 the king still had a baker. Don't, don't kid yourself. Just cause that guy's in prison doesn't mean that the king was, was, was going hungry. What, what you gotta see is, it's that bread maker inside of you that puts you into prison in the first place. <laughs> but your inner person keeps speaking to you in your dream saying there's gotta be something better than this, right? So there's another baker. So Jesus shows up, if you will, on the night that he was betrayed as the bread, as the bread maker and says, here, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Reflecting what Melchizedek did with Abram, Jesus is now recapitulating, say, saying, I am the new Melchizedek and I'm bringing forth the bread and the wine to the 12 tribes, to the, to, to the new, to the new seed of, of, of Israel, if you will, the new representation of humanity. You see it? (laughs) And that part has to die. If you're going to have your jubilee, that part has to die. And the cupbearer, because what does the cupbearer do? The cupbearer comes empty. The cupbearer doesn't tread out the grapes. The cupbearer doesn't make the wine. All the cup, the cupbearer has one job. The cupbearer's simple job is to go and take the cup and receive the wine and serve it. And in that wine is, if this is my body broken for you, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you, right? Shed for the remission of your sins. In other words, the record of everything that Jesus did in his life is in his blood, and that blood is in his spirit. And when you become the recipient of the new wine, which is the spirit, you become the recipient of the record, you become the recipient of everything that he did, you become the recipient of the power of an endless life, you become recipient of perfection, you become recipient of righteousness, you become recipient of well, wisdom, you become the recipient of power. All of that is a free gift. Not through any works, not through any legalism, not through any law, not through any obedience, simply bringing your cup. Simply coming as the receptacle. Simply coming as the receiver. See, you, we, what we don't understand, how many, how many of you have heard, you know, the, 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 know any of the, the only thing I can think of from my time period is Monty Python and the quest for the Holy Grail, but, 
But, but how many of you remember the stories of King Arthur and, and the quest for the Holy Grail? Do you, do you understand? Those are stories. Those are actually Christian stories that are hiding mystical truths. Because the Holy Grail, the quest for the Holy Grail, the quest is not the cup of Christ. The quest is for you and I to become the cup. The quest is for you and I to become the Holy Grail. The quest is for you and I to kill the baker so that we can become the cupbearer, so that we can experience deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, so that we can be restored to our rightful place as sons and daughters at the right hand of God, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <sighs> All by saying, I am the grail. I am the, the, the quest for the Holy Grail is a quest inside yourself to become the perfect recipient of the blessing of Melchizedek, which conquers every enemy and every foe that you come up against. It, it is a place of rest. It is a place of peace. It is a place of power. It is a place of life. It is a place of the endless life of Christ being received by the Spirit and, and then being served, being received. Receiving the Spirit and then serving. Receiving the Spirit and then serving. Receiving the Spirit and then serving. And as you develop that discipline and as you develop that lifestyle, then you become the Holy Grail that everybody's been looking for. And so you can go back. That's why Arthur and his knights sat at a round table. (laughs) Because there's no one at the head. Because there's no difference between the victory of the king and the victory of his knights. God has brought you into the fullness of Christ. His desire is to be filled with the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Christ. His, 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 his goal is not that the head should, should be above the body, but that the body should grow into the fullness of the head. Round table. It's all... can, I show you, can I show you one more pattern? We've we got a little bit of time. Can, can you feel... I mean, I just feel such an anointing. You connect with it by faith. You connect with it by saying, I don't have to work for it. I just become the recipient of it. And you begin to expect, when you start to walk and live under this, you've got to realize when you make a connection with your high priest, when when you make a connection with this thing, you realize I'm not operating under a carnal ordinance anymore. I'm operating by the power of an endless life. I'm, I'm, I'm surrendering myself as the cup to God, and he's pouring his life, and he's pouring his power into me, and then I'm serving that power and that, and that, and that blessing out to, out to the rest of humanity. Whoever comes across my path, not working for it, not laboring for it, and telling them you don't have to work for it and you don't have to labor for it either. Come, come you who, who want bread without price. Come, come you that are thirsty without price and drink. That, see, we have such a hard time doing that because we still, we still have the head on the baker. Joshua, and we'll we'll be done. Joshua 3. The other thing the priests did was the priests went before you in battle. So when you understand the priests carried the ark, the presence of God, into battle, then you understand that Jesus becomes the ark in the river Jordan, goes out into the wilderness... 
to fight the battle as our high priest who is the forerunner who's entered for us. So his whole life was an atonement, not just his death. It's a problem with penal, with, 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 with believing that God's just angry up there and he needed some kind of blood sacrifice in order to, to feel better about you so he could save you. It, it means the only atoning thing that Jesus did was his death on the cross. But when you look at it this way and you understand that, no, it wasn't about, a, it wasn't about appeasing God. It was about a record that you could carry in the spirit of the victory that Christ won for you. So that it's applied within, not without. See, that's the trick of the devil. As long as everything about what Christ did is out there to you, you will never have any kind of victory. That's why the church for centuries took communion every Sunday, so that you would take what was out here and you would literally internalize it. So as long as all the blood is doing is affecting something outside of you, like making God feel better about you, affecting something outside of you, like wiping away the record of sin that God's got of you in heaven, affecting something outside of you, it never changes you. You have to, you have to internalize it and say, no, that what he did becomes my inward reality. His victory becomes my victory. His death becomes my death. His, his, his life becomes my life. His power becomes my power. His wisdom becomes my wisdom. And all of it is by grace and received by faith you see it now Joshua 3 um, verse 9 so Joshua said to the children of Israel they're getting ready to cross over into Canaan so Joshua said to the children of Israel come here and hear the words of the Lord your God and Joshua said by this you shall know that the living God is among you and he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Gergesites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and the... Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take of yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of the harvest. When did the Day of Atonement happen? During the harvest. Now watch this. And as that when the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows its banks during the whole time of the harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam. At Adam. Jordan means... The word Jordan means descent, or the waters of Jordan represent death. They're flowing downstream into humanity from a place called Adam. I mean, it's as plain as a note on your face. 
So here come the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, and here's what's happening in type and shadow and representation. As soon as their feet touch death, as soon as the ark touches death, the waters are cut off all the way back up to Adam. And they cross over the Jordan (laughs) into the land of Canaan. Now, you know what Canaan means? It's interesting. Let me pull it up for you really quick. See, all this stuff is patterns. We, We read it literally and we lose everything. It's all stories to show you and point to you, to tell you who you are, to tell you what's been done for you. If you get hung up on the literal interpretation, you actually miss the real power of the inspiration of the Scriptures. The the Scripture is not inspired by God to be a history book. Scripture is inspired by God to equip you for righteousness. You see it? All right. Here's what the word Canaan means. You ready? Did I lose my place? Sorry. Okay, basically, I don't know what happened to my notes here. Sorry. Basically, the word Canaan means to be... It's an interesting word because in the Hebrew it originates with the word purple. I mean, it's, it's the root of the word purple. And purple typically is a color that we associate with royalty. But, but the word itself means um, to be humbled or to be conquered. So thus they would go into Canaan and conquer Canaan. But, but here's what it means. I got this from this Jewish website. It's really cool. It's not the conquering, it's not the conquering and the humbling in the sense that you think about it. It's, it's representing the place of synchronicity where things begin to flow together. So it's a picture of this chaotic thing that's brought into this place of harmony and synchronicity that has to do with royalty. And it's a land that flows with milk and honey. And it's all a representation of life being lived from a place of rest and a place of ease where you're trusting the synchronicities of life rather than going out trying to labor through the sweat of your brow to make life happen and work for you. That's why it's called entering into his rest. So here's the picture. Here's the picture for Israel. Here's what we're seeing. The Ark of the Covenant, when it touches the water, you'll know for sure that God will drive out all your enemies and give you the victory. The waters of death will be cut off to the place called Adam, and you'll move into the place of royalty and synchronicity (laughs) and harmony. After the priest has come in, all of it prefiguring when Jesus, who is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, would step his feet into the waters of the Jordan. And the moment he stepped his feet into the waters of the Jordan and he was dunked into the streams of death of humanity and he comes up, it's at that point that he dies. And when he comes out of the water, it's at that point that he's resurrected. 
And the voice comes from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. A new resurrected order of humanity of sons and daughters who operate not by carnal ordinances and not by a Levitical priesthood, but by a Melchizedek priesthood, by the power of an endless life. And then he's got to go back into the wilderness to overcome and overthrow the real Jebusites and the real parasites. And the parasites. <laughs> Don't drink that Jordan water, baby. You see it? So now when he comes into Nazareth, he has to cross over again. Only this time when he crosses over... The waters have to stand up at a heap at Adam. So now, having made full atonement, if you will, because he's already died, symbolically. He's already been raised. Now he can announce, based on what he's done, the gospel to the poor, healing to the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who have been bruised and to preach the true year of Jubilee as Melchizedek bringing an end to Israel and everything else he does forgiving sins casting out demons healing the sick is all based on what has been made available because of what he did in the wilderness because of what happened in the Jordan so when he goes up on the mountain of transfiguration the power of his endless life and light shines through So it was no problem for him to die, literally, and be raised because it had already happened. All the cross was, was the demonstration of the victory, the full demonstration of the victory that he had already won by overcoming sin and temptation. And then gives it to you and I as a free gift. All you got to be is a cupbearer. So when you're operating under the law, you're bringing your stuff. Look at what I did. Look at how much I fasted. Look at how much I prayed. Look at how much time I spent in the Word. Look at how good I've been this week. (laughs) You're full of yourself. You can't be full of him. But if you come and say, here I am, I'm empty. I don't have anything to bring. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to bake up for you. All I can do is come empty and receive the new wine. And when my cup runneth over, then I'm have some good that I can give to someone else. But none of that happens until I come to a place of peace and rest. I have to come to this place of peace and rest and total assurance that it's already been taken care of. That it's already been done. That the victory's already been won. And then I can face anything. Whatever battle I'm going through, I can face it knowing... I'm a conqueror in this. I'm I'm operating in the power of an indestructible life. How can I lose? I don't know how it's going to come out, but how can it not come out favorable? 
for me. I'm walking in the blessing of Melchizedek, which is the blessing of absolute victory. How can I not win in this situation? How can I not come out and land on my feet? How can I not come out on top? And the enemy will sit there and accuse you. Yeah, but you didn't. You deserve what you get because... And you just stand there and say, well... Baker's dead, baby. <laughs> Next time the devil starts accusing you, just tell him, go, go tell it to the baker. I'm the cup. Ba- you got me confused with the baker. I'm the cup bearer. And you just stand there in the presence of God, in the midst of all your junk, in the midst of all your filth, in the midst of all that accusation, and you look up as an empty cup as the Holy Grail. And you let him fill you. Over and over and over again. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's so good. It's so good. Your whole understanding of grace changes when you quit looking at God as a judge... And you quit looking at the law as something that came out of modern law courts. And you understand it's something that came out of the temple and came out of the priesthood. And the priesthood has changed. Let me just give you one other little nugget, can I? How come David, David wanted to build the temple? How come he couldn't? How come Solomon had to build the temple? Anybody know? Because David had been to war too many times. She's got it absolutely right. God said, you can't build the temple. Because you're a man of war. Man, I feel the presence of God. You cannot build the temple because you're a man of war. But Solomon will build your temple because I've given him rest from all his enemies. Only a king that's at rest can build the temple. And you are the temple of the Holy Spirit that is being built. So if Jesus is our king after the order of Melchizedek and he's seated, then really there's no battle to fight. Really we do ourselves a disservice when we say the battle's not mine, it's the Lord's. Because it still presupposes a battle. <laughs> so in fact, if we quit worrying so much about battles and become more temple-minded and realize... I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is building me, making me the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's doing. He's working on me. Building me up, edifying me. There are no battles to fight. It's a higher place to live, for sure. It's a higher mentality. But it's in you. That mind is in you. All I'm doing is activating stuff you already know. Don't sit there and give me that look. (laughs) You already know this stuff because the Bible says you have an anointing and you know all things. And all any preacher can do is activate what's already in you and activate what you already know. Does that make sense to you? Let's open up our cups. (laughs) Just right there where you are. Let's just spend a minute letting the Lord, our high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, who comes by the power of an endless life, 
Everything he did, he did for you and on your behalf. And everything he did, he gives to you in the Spirit as a free gift. The record of all of it. So just open up, make yourself a cup right now. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and fill our hearts and minds with the new wine of the Spirit. We open up to receive all that Jesus did for us in the new covenant. We don't come bringing any bread of our own. place you open the eyes of your heart and the Lord's there angels are there the kingdom is there heaven is there the Lord speaking to you the Lord ministering to you empowering you healing you breaking your captivity Opening your spiritual eyes and giving you revelation. It's all there. It's all inside you. It's all already there. It's not hard. You just have to believe it. need healing, it's there. If you need renewing, it's there. If you need your heart, your emotions healed, it's there. You need your anxieties eased and your fears taken away, it's there. All of it. You have immediate access to all of it. financial provision it's there just claim it need direction for your future it's there need revival it's there it's all there it's all yours it all belongs to you every bit of it free gift you just receive that's so good isn't there a wonderful presence of the Lord I mean do you guys feel that too thank you Lord Father I bless your people thank you for the blessing of Melchizedek that you deliver our enemies into our hand that 
we're seated with you in heavenly places till our enemies become a footstool for our feet. That you're building us up as a temple of the Lord. Thank you that we get to be cupbearers in your house. In Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, just real quick, those of you who've been coming on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the age of Aquarius. Aquarius is the only human in the zodiac, and he's the cupbearer. It's the only human, fully human being in the in the Maseroth is what it is in the Hebrew, but it's the circle of the zodiac. It's in the Bible, so we're in the age of the cupbearer. So, all right, bless you guys.